Hello, everybody. Welcome to the 63rd episode of the Manor Podcast. I'm your co-host, Roger Bodie. Joined, as always, with my best friend and other co-host, Michael Hamilton. Michael, did you know that I've actually been working for LSS this whole time? And every time I just think about something that's a good idea, I've actually been implementing it in the back end, you know, this whole time anyways. That's that's pretty impressive that you kept that from me. I feel like I know your life pretty well. You're a busy guy. You got a lot going on. You got your kid. You got your job. You got podcasts. And you hang out with me a lot. So, like, I don't know where you found time to work for LSS, but I'm impressed. Yeah. You know, I just implemented the dual class cards. You know, that was that was, uh, that was was a great idea. And then um, I'm glad we discussed, you know, just, you know, doing something extra with, like, a booster pack slot because it didn't have to be predefined. You could have, like, a whole extra slot that you don't even have to need for limited that you could put, like, supplemental cards in. So, you know, you're welcome for putting that idea in. Um, you know, a mono class set, only one set for focusing on limited to make sure that you have more meaningful decisions and limited play. You're welcome on that one. And then finally, last but not least, a jumpstart like product where you can just pick up, throw a couple booster packs together and play games with your friend. You know, I, you know, we said how much we like, you know, that, that experience with, with the, with the jumpstart stuff, you know, over there, right there. And I decided (laughs) why not put it in flesh and blood too. So, uh, you're welcome. Yeah, thanks. I'm I'm really looking forward to the new set. I think it's going to be sick. I think your ideas are really going to shine through and uh, make the set a great one. <laughs> oh boy! Oh, you man. know, I, so I'm sure I, it's a. Go ahead. I was going to say I I am really excited for the new set. I I don't know like supplemental sets just don't do it for me. But they they announced this set with limited in it. And I'm like I'm in. I I don't play the mech. I think Dash is the I don't want to offend anybody, but Dash is the hero I am least interested in of all like the 15 class constructed heroes. I think they all do something more interesting than Dash does. And they're all not, they're definitely not all better than Dash. I put Dash in eight here. I think Dash is quite good, but like definitely a lot more interesting. She's like, she has boosts and she got items and neither that's that interesting to me. Yeah. Well, first off, your, your tier list is sus at this point. You know, I think at this point, you know, your hero evaluations were a little bit off. Maybe should have been more on par with my evaluations, putting Bravo, you know, right before below Lexi at the top of A tier and then putting, you know, the wizards in, in you know, that that A tier, B tier range, you know, just more I, I things. Think... But I, I, but to be fair, I know all this stuff way ahead of you since I work for LSS. I've tested this <laughs> meta way ahead of time. I knew how the interplay was going to work out between these heroes. So I, I don't blame you. Yeah, I, I think. I think we both kind of messed up because like clearly the only thing that matters in a tournament is winning and Icelander is the only one that's won an event. So it's really like S tier is Icelander. Then nobody's in A tier because nobody else is winning anything. And then B tier, everybody else is there, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's how living <laughs> legend points work. So no, but uh, yeah, Icelander won three, three tournaments in a row. That's, that's pretty good for putting her in uh C tier. Who would do that? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so Bright Lights was announced. Do you want to spend anything you want to talk about Bright Lights overall before we get to the main topic of the cast? Uh, oh gosh. So Did you kind of touch on it already with the mechanologist thing. Yeah, I, I think I actually have a lot to say about Bright Lights. I am first off very excited that they are, it seems like I said that they put a lot of thought into the sealed format, which I love sealed. You love sealed. Sealed's great. Like designing yeah, that's why I sealed, it this way. You're welcome. <laughs> designing a product around just having a very interesting sealed format. It's very different. They're experimenting with only four packs for your sealed pool. There's only one hero. So you're just like 
making choices about which cards you're cutting if these cards pull you into playing this versus this other mechanologist because they're all mechanologists. But like, I I expect the steel format to be very good. I think that this set feels like a set designed to have a very good sealed format. And I'm honestly like, this might be uh, pretty bad to say, but I was, I've been considering not going to worlds um, just kind of talked about burnout before. And I really don't like traveling. I like my house. I like being home and worlds is real far away, but I, the fact that there is a really cool sealed calling for this set that seems like built to have a good sealed format. That's definitely encouraging me to want to go because I, I'm really excited to dive into sealed of this this new set. Um Yeah, it should be a lot of fun. Go ahead. Do you have anything else to say about it? Uh I'm still not going because uh law school. So I hope you have fun in Barcelona, but Yeah. So there's also the the jump start thing. I expect it's not going to be competitive. Jump starts the the magic format where you mix and shuffle packs together. I think this is a great casual format. It, I don't know. We've played it a lot of magic and it's cool that because this set this set is one class only you can do that without having to do weird rules. You can just like all your cards are going to work together. They're all going to be mech cards and it'll be Oh, it'll be good. I expect that if we're going to play limited to this format, we'll probably just do Seals because it will take a little bit longer, but I think Seals more fun than Jumpstart usually. But I think it's great that this is an option. Yeah, well, it's four-pack Sealed, right? So, I mean... Yeah. Um, I don't know how much I'll love the set flavor-wise, personally. Um, I... So with the world of Wraith, it's very much high fantasy themed. We just came off with like these angels and demons fighting this epic war. And then it's like, yeah, then there's a mech over there. And then here's Tony Stark. And it's like, like I'm for steampunk like kind of things. I like the steampunk S kind of thing, but I feel like they pushed the notch closer to the edge of Kaladesh as opposed to like, I don't know, traditional steampunk kind of like vibes but uh you know that's just that's very personal that's very nitpicky that's a that's a you know just a taste kind of a deal uh as far as like the actual execution of the set who knows it could be it's gonna be you know probably really sweet hopefully i i have very very high hopes um well, Hopefully there's not too much variance in your hopes though. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, Do you have anything else to say about, I'll go for it. There are some spoiler cards. It's really hard to say a lot about them. The new hero looks cool. I'm glad it's something more interesting than you start with X thing and play Teclo, whatever his name is. The new guy, Teclosfin. the new Tony Stark looking guy. <laughs> yeah. Teclo Sven. Um, yeah. All right. Okay. Do you want to talk about Icelander a little bit before we jump into variants? I mean, I thought Icelander is part of the variants. Spoiler, that's the main topic of the oh. episode is, is variants. Like, well, it's, it's in the title. You don't know what the title is. I don't even know what the title is. That's going <laughs> to have something to do with the main topic. 
<laughs> I usually we record the episode and I think of a clever, funny, encapsulating title afterwards. And it's not going to include nope, not not anymore now, buddy. There's oh, going to be no that's some yeah, rough feats. I got the bad end of variance <laughs> yeah, there. A very high variance uh, line you took there. <laughs> <laughs> so there was a conversation recently um, that Brian had where. Uh, he thinks the game is a little bit too low variance and that, you know, we see people like Michael Hamilton winning worlds and then a calling and doing well at all these events consistently and Brody Spurlock winning, doing well at current concerns consistently, Michael Fung, you know, the, the all-star names we've been seeing win event to event, you know, Rhea. Now, I guess, can we can throw her name up there, you know, winning back-to-back battle hardens is no small feat in and of itself either. and. Basically, there's a conversation to be had. Is Flesh and Blood too low variance? And if you were to increase the variance, what are the different types of variance that are can exist inside of a game? Like, um, I think there's very healthy variance that can exist if you want to dial it up. And I think there's very toxic, unfun, unhealthy variance that can be pretty easily slotted in as well. And I think there is already some toxic variants already not prevalent but it in flesh and blood overall but um anything you want to riff off of, of what just said there um you said a lot it's hard to kind of talk about one point i think like the point that the in my opinion the best players winning or people winning a lot that are doing well i am very biased but i think that is a big part of what drew me to flesh and blood is i know in magic the amount of games that i lost to not drawing my third land keeping a two lander and dying to not drawing a third land or mulliganing to five and then dying because you're on five cards you die i think they've made improvements to the mulligan system since i have more strong memories of mulliganing to five and dying but still was a big part of the game that i remember is mulliganing and then losing because you're just down two cards magic's variance has a lot of bad parts to it, but it also a lot of good parts about like playing to your outs, trying to draw certain things, playing to your out of your opponent, drawing badly and giving you an opportunity to get back in. I feel like it has some spots that feel pretty bad. I think just dying to lands is pretty bad. Um, I think that variance inherently, I don't like designing to increase variance. I think like, like it's a card game. It's going to have a lot of variance in it. You're going to draw your cards in a random order. Sometimes you'll draw all red. Sometimes you'll draw all blue. Sometimes you'll draw a good mix of, non-attacks and attacks to create your embodiment of lightning and attack with Rosetta Thorn and do a, do a bunch of above great things. Um, and I think that feels like a much more healthy version of variance than kind of like designing these cards that are like intrinsically just high variance cards, like uh, Bolton's new two or one cost pump, the Bologna. prayer of Bologna prayer of Bologna, where it's like, if you flip a yellow off the top, it's the best card in the deck. Oh, that might, not be true. It's a very, very good card. And if you miss, then you're paying one resource and a card for plus two, which is a horrible rate. Um, cards like Sonata Arcanics, I also don't like where you're just like flipping cards off the top of your deck. Though Sonata, it does encourage interesting deck building decisions where you're trying to like build your deck to have an even split of attack actions and non-attack actions. And it makes like every time you include a card that's not an attack action or non-attack action, it adds a cost to that and like makes your Sonata's weaker by putting like sink blows or lightning presses in your deck. So at least and prayer Bologna, you want to be a yellow heavy deck. So at least, and you maybe want card 
variants that give you a ways to look at the top part of your deck. So at least like these forms of variants are, um, they have like deck building decisions that make the cards better or weaker. And there's not really a good way to do that without including some variants in them. I think cards like Scabskin Leathers and um, Crazy Brew, I know Crazy Brew is not a competitive level card, but just that effect where you roll a die and you get either a very powerful game-breaking effect or sometimes just like horrible downside of like you lose your turn in the case of rolling a one with Scabskin's Leathers or a Crazy Brew of rolling a one. I think you spend a card and an action point and you, lose you get two life. a net <laughs> yeah. loss of life or something. So I... I don't like that kind of variance. I think that feels just really, really bad when you roll horribly. And even if it's designed and balanced in a way that the EV is the expected value of the card is fine. I think the games that you win by rolling all fours through sixes on scabskins, they, your opponent just feels horrible. They don't feel like they had much agency in the game. They feel like they just lost because you, you rolled well, uh, same thing with playing against KO. I think that hero is definitely aimed at being a casual hero, but if the hero was ever constructed level uh, for or blitz viable, I think that's like pretty horrible because your games are just going to be decided whether you roll fives and sixes on your attacks and just get cards that are at twice the rate that they should be or a bunch of ones through fours where you don't get any value after that. And I think I, I really don't like that kind of design. Yeah, absolutely. 100% agree with you there. I think the dice rolling is like the worst part of flesh and blood. Um that currently exists aside from, I guess it's like dice rolling one random discard two, and they haven't done a random discard <laughs> effect since Tales of Aria. I wonder why. Uh, but yeah, just that's just very unhealthy elements of, of variance that can exist within a game. But there was something kind of baked into what we just said here. Um, I guess Brute then is inherently a high variance class because they are randomly discarding their own cards still. Like that's still a thing that happens. Um, you know, I guess we saw randomly banishing now with Levia technically, but you know, same, same difference. And uh, dice rolling is still, you know, core as long as scabskin leathers are going to be around, which I don't see them printing legs better than scabskin leathers anytime soon. So what do you think um, are low variance heroes? Like, would you say Icelander is a, has to be a low variance hero in order to like do like to win three events in a row this consistently? So, no, that that has nothing to do with like winning three events in a row doesn't really have to do with consistency. Like, on top of like your deck, like the inconsistencies in your deck, um, there's also a lot of variance in matchups. You can just like um, hit bad matchups and lose a tournament. It's not because like. I, I, I think like your win rate as a hero and like a hero's win rate and their um, how low variance they are, are not really related. And to win three tournaments in a row, you just have to have a hero that's going to have a good win rate against uh, whatever you run into, basically. I do think Icelander is one of the lower variance heroes in the game, but I don't think that's why she's done so well. I think it's why a lot of good players are drawn to her um, because like a lot of your power cards being blue means that your deck is just less likely to have an issue where you just don't draw blues or um, the deck is like 40 blues and 20 reds or something around that. Maybe you get your three yellow Aether Ice Veins, <laughs> but it's predominantly blues. Um, you can still just lose to drawing four reds in a hand and not really being able to use your hand efficiently. Um, that's part of why Scar for Scar and East Strike were so good is their reds that are still good if you draw a bunch of other reds. 
Yeah, I guess compared to other decks, Icelander's not really looking to draw certain cards in combinations. She's trying to draw like Aether Ice Vein plus a blue plus an ice card. Not a very specific combination. She's trying to draw Channel Like Frigid and blue ice cards, which the deck is a bunch of blue ice cards. Not a very specific combination. So o- overall, I would say that she is one of the lower variants. But I think the hero that I look at or think of when I think of lowest variants is Oldheim. Yeah, agreed. We saw that play, you know, over the entire time he was legal in class constructed he was a staple and favorite among you know tournament players um from start to finish because of that lower variance when you are a player with like a skill gap across your opponent you are looking to make the game go longer and decrease variance because that maximizes your chances of of winning because if you're making better decisions than your opponent on turn to turn basis then that's going to allow you to win more games overall in the tournament. And that's why we saw, you know, Michael Fung win the Pro Tour on Oldham by just playing these insanely long, grindy games of Oldheim where he just on, and people would say things like, yeah, well, the Dromai could have won if they just remember it's perfectly on turn six or something like that. But it's like, okay, like the amount of foresight and the amount of everybody's going to make some number of mistakes in, in flesh and blood in a game. Like that's just going to happen. The game's incredibly hard. There's too many variables to think about across the entire game in order to play perfectly and never make a mistake in the entire game of flesh and blood. But when you just make one less mistake than your opponent, like if you, if your opponent makes two mistakes across like a two hour game, and you only make one mistake, you still made less mistakes than your opponent, and that could be the difference in the game. And I think we saw that consistently play out time and time again with old times matchups where, you know, he was playing like ridiculous number, like 40 plus blues in some of his builds, being he was able to block incredibly well, uh, mitigate a lot of damage through Crown of Seeds and his own hero ability through the Earth React as well. Uh, be very disruptive with his ice effects or the guardian attacks and just be able to be incredibly consistent in executing that game plan. Because if you think about it, like I don't even know what like a high variant, like the worst thing that could happen to Oldheim, like you said, it's the worst thing that can happen to Iceland, like you said, where he draws an all red hand, but even then he's just like, Oh, okay. I'll block three cards. Arsenal, my last card. Like you still get like a perfectly fine exchange out of that because the deck blocks so well. And, you know, he's not always looking to be pressuring his opponent in very specific ways like Icelander is. So I definitely agree that Oldheim is like the lowest variance here on Flesh and Blood. And that's kind of what I was looking for in Bravo now and what we're kind of seeing these new builds of Bravo do, where they're executing a very similar game plan, really trimming down on, you know, I think Bravo's playing close to 40 blues now, um, something like that. Uh, Maybe not quite because of the yellows of, of from Starstruck, but right around that area, and Starstruck still is a perfectly fine resource card on a lot of turns. And once again, you know, the worst thing that happens to Bravo is he draws an all red hand, um, but he can still just block perfectly acceptably. Still, he just doesn't get as much free damage mitigation. Obviously, not having access to the Earth React or Crown of Seeds, but he can still have, you know, a lot of blocking armor available to him. He can still play um, Titan's Fist in a shield, and we can see him try to play out those lower variance games across his opponent. He doesn't have to always be trying to, you know, dominate and push and hope that he just draws this perfect ratio of blues in his one dominate attack anymore, because that was kind of his game plan before, but that is just not the case anymore. 
Yeah, I, I would say Bravo is still reasonably higher variance than Oldheim. I think like part of what helped Oldheim be so low variance is when he draw, drew a hand of all blues. Um, and sometimes like a lot of the blues are not blues you want to play. Like the blue eights are okay to play if you're stuck with four cards, but um, it's not really what you're wanting to do. Um, one thing Oldheim had going for him was he could he had crown of seeds and you could arsenal whatever random blue and eventually you'd have an extra resource on a turn or you'd have a tunic counter and you could use crown of seeds to just put that blue on the bottom and not have to basically play this blue below rate card out of your arsenal. You instead just get to use crown of seeds and play at play at rate for more a, a larger portion of your hands basically. Um. Bravo not having that does mean that there's slightly higher risk with having such a high blue count where um, you don't want to play a lot of your blues as Bravo, especially like past the first turn of the game. I think the first turn you get like imposing visage and showtime that are great to play, but later in the game, you don't really want to play those cards. They're not, um, they're not cards that you'd want to arsenal. They're not cards you'd want to play. And without Crown of Seeds, you can't really arsenal random blues willy nilly and (laughs) play them out. So uh, Rouse and Terra Sunder are still both extremely good, especially in combination with Anathos. Uh, but the other blues are all kind of not really what you're looking for. So, yeah, absolutely. And even sometimes, even arsling reds can be awkward, where you're just not drawing the right opportunities in order to like present your Spinal Crush or um, Crippling Crush or things like that. Like you still, whether you're even in circumstances where you're looking to play that card, having the game state and resources line up where you're then able to execute on that doesn't always line up perfectly either. Um, so yeah, I definitely do agree that Bravo still has more variance overall than Oldheim, but at the end of the day, he's still a guardian, and I don't think he's like an inherently like super high variance hero. Yeah, yeah, I, I'd agree. Um, so what do you think... Um, is like a good kind of variance then like so like what do you think is like the best like card with variance in, in flesh and blood in your opinion so we talked about prayer of bologna and sonata which i think are like kind of like not the best but like at least there's like deck building decisions you make around them to try to make them better and you have to like make decisions around um how many copies of each thing you're going to do. Um, Ravenous Rabble shares that similar thing where you're like, a lot of decks want red Ravenous Rabble, but a lot of these decks are not going to play 60 reds. They're going to play some number of blues and Ravenous Rabble is a reasonably high variance card based and it, it impacts deck point decisions. So I think like these kind of cards are solid and I don't think that there's anything wrong with including them in your game because again, deck building things. So I think the best form of variance though that's a tough question i'll have to think about that for a second okay you i'll, I'll give my answer and then you can uh hopefully it helps inform your decision because my answer is rebel in room blood where uh basically when you are able to execute and do rebel in room blood's effect of creating those four rune chants and especially in viscerai where you're getting that extra fifth rune chant it's an incredibly powerful card one of the most powerful cards in the game when you are not doing like when you can't play the attack and non-attack action it's a red non-attack action two block (laughs) so it's very 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 bad when you're not doing its thing so that's a pretty wide chasm between its ceiling and its floor so there's a lot of lot of variance there but 
I think that's kind of the direction you should go in a card to have variants where you are the one controlling like the ultimate destiny of the card. You can choose to arsenal it. If you want to have just a mopey two block, you, you're, you're using it below rate. You're still getting something out of it. You're not excited about it. You can still pitch it. You're not happy to pitch reds, but like it still has a functional floor, even if it's not great. Um, while still having an incredibly high ceiling. That's the kind of effect I really like. And I guess what spurred this conversation, uh, additionally, not only was the conversation around variants, but um, obviously Warmonger's recital has been the talk of the past three tournaments with- Warmonger's diplomacy. Warmonger, yeah, sorry. Warmonger's diplomacy has been the talk of the past three tournaments where it's just hosing cl- uh, entire classes. And I think Warmonger's diplomacy is a- bad kind of variance for flesh and blood overall because its ceiling is your opponent doesn't get to play the game for a turn cycle which is not not an ideal ceiling for what you want your cards to be doing and its floor is it does literal nothing where your opponent's just like i choose war i'm attacking you with ravenous rabble e-strike command and conquer anyways let's turn idiot like what like what you did you just spent a whole card in an action point doing actual nothing because i was able to play around your card this turn so that's you know like i was saying with revel and runeblood a wide chasm between when it's doing its thing and it's not i guess its floor it's technically still it might be a little bit better in that it's a blue three block but the actual effects that it has in games when cast i think is not a great direction to be taking the game in for increasing variance yeah it I guess I kind of compare it to Red Arctic Incarceration, where like sometimes, depending on the context of your opponent's hand, it's going to take them off doing anything. Red Arctic, at least it always trades for a card where they have to pitch an extra blue to play the game. Um, whereas Warmonger, sometimes they just like don't want to do something. You look at an Azalea with a non-attack action in her arsenal, and you cast Warmonger's, Warmonger's Diplomacy. There's basically nothing she can do to have a functional turn. She can choose peace and play the non-attack action, but like she doesn't have any permanent she can play. Um, I guess she could play, sorry, if she has the attack actions in hand, like Command and Conquer, uh, E-Strike, Ravenous Ravel, then she can play those. But it's, it, it, is, it is a very high variance card. And I think that my biggest issue, more than it being a high variance card too, is just that like the, the ceiling is so high and the ceiling being essentially like your opponent doesn't get to do anything on their turn in the right matchups in the right spot. It's a punishing ceiling as opposed to a proactive ceiling. Yeah, and then also I don't like such powerful cards being printed at blue block threes. I think that's my biggest problem with it. If it was a red block two, then not a lot of decks, not as many decks would slot it in. I think it would still be a card that you would be happy if you had it in against Azalea, against maybe against Lexi, against Viscerai for sure. Um, but it being a blue block three means you can just always include it. There's no cost to not wanting to play it. It's a blue. It's going to pitch for three resources as much as any card can pitch for, and it'll block for three. That's as much as any cards barring narrow defense reactions can block for. So it does. If, if you're in a spot where you don't need, you don't need it. You don't need to hope to kind of blow out your opponent with it. Um, you can just block with it and it's not going to take up sideboard slots. You can just mainboard it in a lot of decks because it's a blue block three. Whereas you talked about Rebel and Runeblood. I really like Rebel and Runeblood 
for similar reasons to what you said. But the fact that it's a red two block means like if you're including this in your deck, if you're including this in your deck, there's going to be times that you draw it where it is not great to play it. Maybe it's the end of the game. You're both at two life. You're not going to be able to play a non-attack and attack Rebel and Rune Blood and also attack with something else to pop those rune chance. That's an ass a lot. And in exchange, it gives you a very good card. A zero for four non-attack action is not really... I don't think there's a lot of cards that are zero for four non-attack actions, especially like... Yeah, especially dealing arcane damage in the way it does. Yeah, so... I I do think Warmongers is not great design, but I think that's more... I, I feel like this one's more on the back of it just being a blue block three than because it's high variance. I think if it's a red block two, that fixes my problems with it. It's still a high variance card, but there's a big cost including it in your deck and there's going to be spots where it's bad and you put it in a red two block that's going to have spots where it's bad you know what is also a little bit more of a higher variance card overall but kind of fills a similar void in this like disrupting your opponent game plan um and it, which also just came out in dust on uh, lost in thought i think lost in thought is a beautifully designed card overall and i think its power level is is quite high as we've seen uh the past few weeks it's still a high variance card because sometimes your opponent just doesn't you, you you won't be able to do very much your opponent has the redundant popper like its ceiling isn't always as insane um as like just taking any card uh it has the downside of giving your opponent the ponder token if they are able to use their hand effectively after you try to disrupt them with this like it has very clear like downsides built into it but it's upside as we saw in the mara ferris versus pat Eggsy, you know draw my v levia game where mara was able to just make pat unable to take a game action on his turn but that was because of the interaction and the timing and the way that she kind of maneuvered that game state and was able to make the right decisions in order to get the card to, to have that level of a ceiling where instead of just you know playing it and being like choose um and ultimately there's going to be points where much like thought sees people will take the wrong card with lost in thought like it's not some a lot of the time it'll be trivial like yeah take the popper or yeah take the blue but there are going to be edge cases where it's like well i don't know should i have taken the commanding hawker or should i have taken the enlightened strike like because like if they have pummel in arsenal then it was much better to take the the commanding hawker but if they don't have if they have a scar for a scar then i'd like there's going to be decisions like that um so i almost would have rather just lost in thought been a generic card because once again it's a it's a red two block that has a disruptive effect that's very good into a bunch of different decks um but i don't know about your thoughts on that yeah i i think so we've seen wizard and illusionist so far that have had disruption for your opponent's hand um i can't remember the name of the wizard card so i I, brain freeze oh sure pry brain freeze pry yeah brain freeze definitely i forgot about that one i was thinking of pry (laughs) i forgot brain freeze exists so like i don't think um it doesn't feel like it's locked to a specific class now that wizards and illusionists have it so i think it could be a generic um i like that it's a red i like that it's a two block and you're net exchanging down on resources where you're spending a card and a resource to take a card from them and also give them a ponder token so on rate it is quite bad but it's a high variance card where sometimes you take their attack and their turn doesn't work. You either take the only blue they had, or you take the only attack they had, 
or you take their popper and you get attacked with a bunch of phantasm phantasm stuff and that is a very high variance thing where sometimes you're going to take a card from their hand it, that was worth like three or four points of value and they're going to play a full turn draw a card off the ponder token and you spent a, a card and a resource to take away three or four damage and they get a card back so that if that card's worth three you spend a card and a resource for like zero to one points of value which is quite bad and that on a red two block uh there's a lot of a lot of situations where it can go wrong and that just definitely feels like better or design that I am a fan of. Yeah. If we move away from like red two block like designs of of variance cards, do you think Art of War's a high variance card? Um or do you think like I guess one level higher than that what do you think about like yellow no blocks or like kind of like what's like a sliding scale that you think these cards should be have like as like their floor then yeah if if you look at the yellow no blocks that see a lot of play you look think of art of war you think of rain razors um i think those are the only two what you say oh remembrance, remembrance. yeah not our favorite that card, card. <laughs> uh but Rainers and art of war are both very powerful cards and feel like they could easily be reds and still see pretty close to the same amount of play, maybe slightly less, but they are yellow no blocks that are very, very powerful. And I'm honestly not sure why they're yellow. I think Blood Rush Bellow is also in that camp of I'm not exactly sure why it's a yellow. And then Codex of Frailty definitely falls in that camp where I I'm not sure why some of these cards are designed as yellows instead of reds. Because well, I think it's just to like push their power out level up a little bit higher. Like they don't want to be blues because then there's just like too many resources, but you don't want to be reds because then it, like I think it's like an interesting middle ground lever that they can use to like hedge some of these cards. And I think that's kind of what the design space is kind of supposed to be for yellows, I guess, in like the grand scheme for constructed, like in limited they're just kind of like there to balance out limited formats but for like constructed i think yellows kind of provide this interesting middle ground for power level balancing yeah that's fair i guess they're just like they could be reds but they want these cards to be a little bit better so they end up as yellows and right yeah these cards typically end up as some of the best cards in the decks that they're played in and i guess that's why i'm kind of like they could be reds but the fact that they're yellows is just like they want these cards to be good all these cards are very good. And Rain Razors and Art of War are both like kind of situational cards where you need a you, you need at least three cards to really like get a good amount of value out of them. Sometimes four, sometimes five, depending on the situation. Similar to Blood Rush Bellow, you need three cards to do it. You need a resource card, the card, the Blood Rush Bellow, and the card you're discarding. So at least three cards for it to be good. And I guess that makes sense for you don't want your reds to be cards that require a full hand to do anything though revel and rune blood again a card that we praise is like being one of the best design cards as a red in that same spot yeah um and then i guess to bring the conversation like all the way back to the top then like do you think designing cards like revel or lost in thought or or even warmongers diplomacy at this spot do you think it's allowing players who are worse than their opponents to win more games because that's the ultimate goal here right is they want more games of flesh and blood to be less decided strictly by who's the better player and kind of allow worse players to win not all the time not consistently but not zero percent of the time either do you think 
these cards are filling that role? Because I would also argue no. It's close, but I would still say no. I don't know for uh, for Lost in Thought. I not sure. I think there is definitely an argument that Warmongers could be doing that, but that's just because of the sheer power level of the card. And like some spots, it's going to be worth like 15 points of value. And that's insane. Your opponent has a five card hand. You play Warmongers Diplomacy and they can't use their hand. That's. Um, Are you, would you ever, pl- now that Warmongers Diplomacy exists, what would it take for you to play a deck that gets hosed by Warmongers Diplomacy? How high would the ceiling on that deck have to be? That'd be really high. I, that's what I'm saying. So the good players the, won't play the decks that are hosed by Warmongers. That's that's fair. It, it, and it just leads to being a pain point for players that are playing decks that are hosed too. I think, I guess Lexi is a deck that I would play that gets hosed by Warmongers Diplomacy. I think Lexi is still quite good. And, um, but I feel kind of silly that I put both Azalea and Viscerai in A tier on my tier list because when I was making this tier list, I wasn't realizing the impact of Warmongers Diplomacy on on the metagame and like decks that are bad against Warmongers Diplomacy. I, I don't think, I think your deck has to be so much better than the other decks when they don't play Warmongers Diplomacy to warrant me registering a deck that is that bad to Warmongers Diplomacy. So I, I think both Azalea and Viscerai should probably be B tier, maybe C tier. Yeah. And so there's the element of the good players just won't play the decks that get hosed by like these higher variance cards. And so when you're talking about like a punishing variance card, but when you're talking about like a card like Revel and Runeblood, like sometimes your opponent will just combo off or deal a bunch of arcane damage with the Revel and Runebloods and you're playing old time still and you're just like, well, I couldn't I couldn't prevent that much arcane damage. They presented a proactive game plan that is not consistently that high of a ceiling, but was so high of a ceiling that my consistent game plan wasn't able to deal with it and I lost. And that you know, speaks more to also why I like cards that when they're good, they are doing something very proactively powerful. And I think there's a lot of design space that can be done with proactively powerful high variance cards uh, without even including things like dice rolling. And, you know, I think something that could, even if we want to talk about cards like uh, nimbleism and nimble strike. We saw we saw Yanji playing nimble strike recently in Briar, and you could argue that nimble strikes, like it's a lower end of variance, but it is still a card with variance built into it because sometimes you'll draw your nimble strikes before your nimbleisms in your deck, and well now I just have this really bad attack red block two, and it's like oh this isn't great. But when you've already played your nimbleisms, it's a it's a pretty good card. Like it's it's a one for five go again after you played your nimbleism. So designs like that where they're contingent on what order even what you're drawing your cards in i think is also a healthier way to like design you know variants and you can even argue cards like codex of frailty is like a a variance card in that regard too because if you draw it in your first couple hands of the game and you don't have any good attacks to get through you just have a yellow two block (laughs) yeah i think it's it's not great but you know (laughs) I, th- I think most of the time, if you don't have any attacks in your first couple hands of the game, any good attacks in your first couple hands of the game, most decks are you're probably losing. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, you're probably losing whether <laughs> Codex of Frailty is Codex of Frailty or some <laughs> other random card. But uh, I, I do think another, speaking of Briar, another like high variance card in Briar is Channel Mount Heroic. Sometimes you play Channel Mount Heroic and you attack with three go-again attacks, and that's it's worth nine points of damage on that first turn you play because you pitch a Blue Earth card and you play three attacks. Boom. Um, 
force nature nature especially combines with channel heroic to create some like some of the highest ceiling turns in the game we saw at uh worlds in the semifinals when dan rakowski played against chrissy ollie chrissy ollie went channel out heroic force nature and presented like 40 damage in a turn or something and like that's like obviously that's not consistent that's like a very high variance thing but like i don't think briar ever felt unhealthy for like well i guess before the bands and erratas but like the channel out heroic builds of briar never felt like problematically unhealthy um we saw matt folks win the pro tour two with the kind of tome of tome of the arc knight channel out heroic belittle minnowism Briar deck and that deck was one of the highest variance versions of Briar that we'd seen with specifically mm-hmm. casting these Tome of Harvest a lot or not Tome of Harvest Tome of the Tome Arc, the Arc and it was it was a higher variance of Briar but that's that felt fine it felt like it felt healthy and worse or players could pick up that deck and uh, get wins with it by kind of rolling well getting lucky and if. I don't know. I guess I I think that doesn't feel like bad variants where you're like building your deck to maximize these Tome of the Arc Knights. You're building your deck to maximize Channel Mount Heroic. And it is high variance, whether you draw it, whether you draw it with an Earth Blue, whether you draw a bunch of Earth Blues in spots where they're bad because you're putting all these bad cards in your deck to facilitate running Channel Mount Heroic. And um, there's costs. Channel Mount Heroic sometimes isn't great. Sometimes you only get six points of value out of it, even though you played it and got to keep it around for a turn. Um, it's plausible. You only get six points of value out of it. And when you're warping your deck to include this card that um you're warping your deck to include this card and build around this card and it's a high variance card where sometimes like the ceiling of it's extremely high and the floor is extremely low is good i think that's a good spot for the game to be in but i yeah yeah go ahead and then my last kind of variance then you you kind of already touched on this too now with the channel mount heroic are basically effects that are are your face up basically or even like heaving a pulverize like this things things you can do on your turn that are going to threaten a lot of good value on your next turn they don't stick around for forever i'm not talking about cards like energy potion or or things like that because those are very low variance cards because they're going to stick around forever you get to use them to maximize their potential like ama device um but I guess like hypothermia, not an Icelander even could have been this type of like low variance card or or high variance card that will sometimes do a thing. I guess no, because it's it's punishing negatively. So when I'm thinking of the cards of like um, Channel Mount Heroic, there's also like the blessing cycles that they did in Dynasty. Um, there's card, there's all those guardian things like towering Titan and things like that. These things where you're like, my next turn is going to be insane. I'm giving you one turn cycle, disrupt me, make me interact with you in some meaningful way. Um, if not, I'm going to get this carried over accrued value to do something very powerful. And I think that creates really interesting and dynamic game states where your opponent's like, Oh, how can I like, can I like swing this like command and conquer in a turn where I might not have wanted to swing this command and conquer now, or like, can I play some kind of effect or get you to interact with me to mitigate this high disaster? One aspect of variance on that card Two, you play this card. You're like, Oh, I'm going to do my very powerful thing next turn. You draw your hand and it's four reds and you can't do anything with it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, he polarized draw four reds is the worst. That's a classic. So like, and even something like Blessing of Deliverance, right? Like sometimes that card draws you the card, replaces itself, gains you three life. And like, I think 
playing to these one turn effects on the board face up value kind of things are really really interesting and i think really underexplored in flesh and blood overall yeah i i I would agree with that i think like they're very cautious about printing things that like preserve power for later um like energy potion is probably the strongest so then we have time snap time snap potion but like i i think these effects um these effects that are like i'm gonna be really strong next turn and i have to use it next turn they've been more cautious about these than i think maybe they need to with like cards like the the whole blessing cycle um i think all of them are quite bad they're one cost they don't have go again and they are what you would expect for a zero cost with go again a lot of the time so <laughs> that that's what the effect is um i guess they block for three so they've got that going for them but <laughs> they, they they are what they are about as powerful as you'd expect a zero cost non-attack action with go again to be so it's kind of weird to see them because it's not like flexible power it's this next turn i'm doing it so yeah and maybe like they think like well if you pitch if you just pitch stack it and you set it up for a second cycle then it's not low bear then it's not high variance anymore you know you're going to draw the perfect card to go with your blessing of savagery or whatever (laughs) um but it's like these decks that are doing that aren't necessarily trying to get to the second cycle. Like that's just not a very common play pattern for a deck that would want to be playing these types of effects. One and two, there's still not even like good enough rate to make doing something like that worth it. And I'm not saying like they should print cards to make it worth it. Like there's so much, there's so much wiggle room to put like a card that's like, well, my next attack, as long as I draw, you know, a, a, a lightning, an earth and an ice card in my next hand i'm gonna you know get plus two and dominate or whatever and go again. Like this whole starbo effect <laughs> like starbo is a pretty high variance hero um but like i don't know I, i'm kind of rambling at this point yeah i think i think we're both just kind of rambling a little bit so we're getting late in the cast I'm losing my focus. I yeah. need blessing of focus. Is that a that's a, that's one of the blessings, right? I think that's the I think that's the ranger one. I think yeah, blessing of focus is the ranger one. Okay, so I guess we talked about some of the low variance decks. Like we talked about the guardians. We talked about Icelander a little bit. Um, talked a little bit about Briar being kind of high variance. I think Viserai also falls in this category of higher variance, where you draw your rebel in the right at the right times. You draw very powerful mortar tide turns or sometimes you just draw a clunk of attack actions or a clunk of reds i guess everyone kind of has that fail state of drawing all reds or all blues when they need to pitch things to play cards but rune blades have an additional level where they need to draw a reasonable mix of attacks and non-attacks yeah and you know azalea has that too um any decks that are kind of playing like these these split types of cards are usually kind of vulnerable to that kind of effect yeah so i guess like comparing ninjas to rune blades i think ninjas are generally lower variance than rune blades because they don't have a whole extra card type that matters they're just drawing attacks and most attacks function well together um five was the first time we really saw this because i think katsu was katsu's like kind of more rune bladey where you had like starters and non-starters in the old versions of katsu before like they printed uh descendant gust wave that's both a starter and non-starter and then we saw um spinning wheel kick that's kind of both a starter and a not and a combo card so katsu kind of ended up or started as more of a higher variance hero but kind of the the design of this outsiders cards kind of shifted him away from that yeah agreed 
And yeah, Phi was definitely a lower variance hero too, especially when you had, you know, the stubby hammers and just belittle minnowism and things like that, like where he was just able to consistently produce. Cause then at that point, all you care about is just drawing attacks with go again. And it's like, it's really easy to draw more than half the deck. <laughs> yeah. It's really it's like easy to draw a bunch of, <laughs> yeah. Like <laughs> it's just like the deck building requirements are so low to get that power level. Like sure. You're a low variance, crazy, powerful hero. Good job. Yeah. I, I think, uh, I think belittle specifically is an interesting card because it's like intrinsically a high, a high variance card where like if you draw it, it's a red two block that you need to draw with specific cards, but it has like the deck build, the interesting deck building things of like, I want to put a bunch of three, three or lower power attacks in my deck. And um, I think the biggest reason that belittle eventually the axe is they made so many good little attacks and it makes sense. They're just going to keep putting attacks. A lot of them are going to have three or less power and be quite good. Yeah. So, I think we were discussing this a little bit, and I'll bring this up as the final point. So the heroes that have living legend up to this point, I think Prism is a very low variance, consistent deck that's able to drag games out and just get a bunch of accrued value through her spectral auras. Yeah, um, I guess touching on Prism, I think part of her low variance is most of her cards are yellows in a deck that wants to pitch yellows and play yellows. So like, it's similar to Icelander where your deck is so heavily blue where most of the time you're pitching and playing blues. Prism has the same thing with yellows where most almost all of your cards are yellows, like more than half the deck and almost every Prism deck was yellows. And when all of your cards are both resource cards and cards you want to play, that gets rid of a lot of that variance of drawing an awkward clump together. Yeah. I would say Starbo looks like a high variance hero. And I think the first impression by everybody was like this hero is like okay like he's just too high variance like whatever but like i think he wound up being way more consistent and way more powerful than lss intended to and i think that's also why he living because his ability was so good even with that like mid-range variance like i think if he was a higher variance hero with that same ability um then like he's fine but given that he has some level of variance into him Sorry, given that he has like just a moderate level of variance, but that's still crazy powerful ability. I don't think there was enough variance baked into his design to mitigate his upside, I guess is what I'm getting at. Yeah, I I, I would have preferred if there's like the ceiling of this power level was a little bit lower rather than increasing the variance. I think he was like a solidly high variance hero, especially in first cycle. Like a lot of your games were over in first cycle and first cycle was pretty high variance. Um, especially also after they banned autumn's touch and you got rid of all those three blocks that made it even, it made him even higher sure, yeah. variance because now instead of being able to block for nine and swing hammer on a lot of your hands that miss starvo trigger, um, now you were blocking for eight because your all your autumn's touches were replaced with two blocks. And then I think chain is also an insanely low variance hero. I think good players were consistently able to navigate him to the same kind of end game states where he just kind of set up the same kind of attack, non attack ratio to present insane amounts of damage. And you kind of look at him and you're like, well, it's going to be pretty high variance, right? Cause you don't know what you're banishing off the top, but you do when you start pitch stacking and then you're like well let me count oh i've played four cards i know that i pitched this so i know in this turn cycle i'm going to hit this card and this is going to be my pitch and like people the like the good players started like figuring out how to completely like nullify 
any variance with like the soul shack. Well, I shouldn't say any, but like the vast, vast, vast majority of variance in, in, in a chain and just navigate it to like these beautifully, perfectly planned out end game states. Do you like, I, do you agree with that? I, I, I don't agree with what you're saying that like a lot of the chains can navigate to, to good end states, but I think chain is very high variance. You can definitely miss on your shackles. And a lot of the time, even if you set up this perfect second cycle, um, if you're not doing anything first cycle because your banishes are all bad, then they can just like pressure you to threaten to kill you before you get there. Or you just don't leak enough damage that even your perfectly pitched stack second cycle, if your opponent's at 36 life and you're like, all right, here it is. It's my final turn. I'm going to do 40 damage. And they just block 12 and you do 28 and then you've got nothing left. That's not, that's not good enough, you know? So I think chain is reasonably high variance. I think his power level was so high above basically everything else that was around while he was that like, it didn't, it, it's like, yeah, your, your high variance where your floor is reasonably like about on par with the other best aggro decks and your ceiling is way, way higher. So it didn't feel as high variance as it actually was. That's fair. Now, yeah, I'll defer to you on chain, but I guess for my impression and watching a lot of chain, I admittedly didn't play the most amount of chain. So I guess I didn't experience it firsthand, but um, I just thought, especially watching like Pablo win the pro tour, it felt like he was able to kind of consistently get kind of like the game states he was planning for out of his deck yeah i, I would but maybe that was just a bunch of good variants <laughs> I, I think i think part of it is variance there's a lot you can do as a good player to mitigate variance in chain but i don't think that makes the hero any lower variance and like i think that he, anyone else yeah I, I don't think he's lower variance than like most of the other heroes in the game i think he's might be lower variance than like some of the other very high variance decks like He's probably lower variance in a deck that's rolling scabskins every turn, but he's still pretty high variance. Yeah. And sp- a final thing, I guess we never have to talk about Chain again because he's dead. Uh, so much for a good balanced living legend format. That was a fun theory while it lasted. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, Warmonger's Blumacy Rex Chain. Yeah. Now, now if you look at a Prism deck trying to fatigue Chain, you get your three Arclight Sentinels, you get your three Warmonger's Diplomacies, and it's going to be really hard for chain to get through a fatigue prism. Now um, Starvo can also just slot three warmongers diplomacies, fatigue the chains. Everyone's going to be like that. That card is so hard to beat as chain. And like he, there were other cards that were quite potent against him, like put it, put, playing a channel like frigid near the end of his pitch deck. Very strong. Um, takes two cards and he can play through it. Um, playing Arclight Sentinel near the end of his pitch stack, also very strong, but he could play through it with Lead the Charge or Time Snap Potions. Like, he had outs to these Warmongers Diplomacy. There's not really an out to. You, can, you can't activate your hero power. You can't use Spellbound Creepers to play non-attack action because you're not allowed to play non-attack actions. You're just going to play one attack. You can um, play Art of War. That's it. Oh, you can... Yeah, you can play Art of War. Um, Shadow Verser, you can also play with Banishing a card to get go again, but it's very hard to do a lot of things through uh, Warmongers Diplomacy. Yeah, for sure. So hopefully, I don't know. We'll see. It's, maybe maybe it was secretly broken with all these other new cards, I guess, too. But I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's also possible that Chain is now not great in Living Legend format. Um, eventually, the meta moves away from playing three more Myers Diplomacy. If Chain's the only deck that it's good against, you don't want it against Prism. You don't want it against the Guardians. Um, so if Chain's the only deck that's good against, and Chain becomes unplayable because of it, eventually people will get to the point where is it really worth slotting in these blue block threes that have like very low downside to include in my deck, but like there's slightly better blue block threes I can play in other matchups? Maybe you get to that point. That's the problem Maybe. with making this card a blue block three. 
Yeah, I was about to say that's like a really easy like just slide three of those bad boys into your deck and you're just like it's fine. Red, red block two. I think Chain would probably have a. Hard... If it's a red yeah, block red, two, red it's block only two a completely different card. thing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh well. <laughs> Any final thoughts, buddy? I guess we we said a lot about variants of flesh and blood. I I think that making a card game really hard. There's a lot of things to think about. I've done a great job with. LSS in general has done a great job with most of the cards. I think they missed the marks on a few. You're of them. welcome. Yeah, great, great job with your new that. job, Roger. Uh, I wish you kept more modern <laughs> diplomacy uh, uh, a little bit. Like <laughs> that one was that one wasn't me. That like, was somebody else put that in the final, and I didn't see it. Yeah, before. yeah. Sorry. But everything I'll, I'll, else, I'll, everything else they've done right is you. All right, thank you very much for uh, all, all, all the good for decisions. All <laughs> me. I wouldn't be surprised if we see a Warmonger's Diplomacy ban at some point in the card's life. I think it is going to keep hosing um, random heroes and it being a blue block three, it's hard to see a world where this card goes away otherwise. And when your blue block three is hosing people, they don't aren't devoting cyborg slots. It's just a blue block three. They just throw in their deck because it's a blue that blocks for three. Um yeah, I, yeah, or they just design enough space around it that it's meaningless anyways with instants. Because it's just like, if Azalea has like rain razors, there's another instant ranger effect that gets printed that buffs arrows or something like that. If she could play lightning press, if like, if you could just mitigate it with instants, then like you either, that could also just completely make the card irrelevant as well. So it's either you push this other design space of a completely different like card type to make it irrelevant or you have to deal with it in some other way. I don't know. It's just a weird card. Yeah, it, it's it's hard because like no matter how many other good cards you put of other card types, like making non-attack actions not a card type you want to include in your deck is really, really tough. So, and especially like there's a lot of, yeah. there's a lot of cool red two block non-attack actions. We talked about Revel and Runeblood. This is not a card I ever wanted in my deck if Warmonger's Diplomacy is a big part of the format. That's fair. So. That's fair. Well, the next time you're losing the variants, always remember, mind your manners. <laughs>